The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey everyone, welcome to the show, and here we are continuing our year of celebrating the 25th anniversary of the signing of the ADA. Now, I must tell you that I've had, as you know, many, many great guests, but to say I'm overwhelmed with our guest today is an understatement. I know this is hard for all of you who know me to believe it, like I really am speechless, because to have, to have a cabinet member, to have a secretary, to have one of the greatest champions for all of us living with disabilities that we admire and that we love, what an honor it is for all of us to have Secretary Tom Perez, the Secretary of Labor, as my guest today. Secretary Perez, welcome. Joyce, it's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners, and I want to thank you for uh, your leadership for so many years on behalf of people with disabilities. You've been an inspiration to me and so many others. Well, thank you so much. But, uh, Secretary, and I know that everyone listening to the show today uh, knows that he has been our champion, not just now, but Department of Justice, really throughout his career. He has fought for us and continues to, and I just want to say one other thing, he is the real deal. He is. He is the real deal. So, Mr. Secretary, I can't even begin to possibly imagine what it would be like to name, be named Secretary of Labor and report to the President of the United States, who President Obama is also such a disability uh, champion for all of us. How about if you share with our listeners, what, what does that meant to you? Well, it's been an unmitigated privilege. Uh, Every day I live my life here with a sense of urgency because at the Department of Labor, the president has given me the opportunity to expand opportunity for so many people. 650 days till the weekend. That's my motto. That's uh, January 20th, 2017. And every single day we're working to uh, expand opportunities, whether it's working on the minimum wage, whether it uh, is uh, making sure that uh, people with disabilities get access to the minimum wage through our work on 14C issues. Did that when I was at DOJ, and I get to do that when I'm at the Department of Labor. Um, the breadth and depth of our ability to help people, whether it's helping people get a job, whether it's making sure they get paid for that job, whether it's making sure the workplace is safe, whether it's enforcing important regulations like Section 503, which um, has helped open up doors for people with disabilities to get into the workplace. They're, the breadth and depth of our ability to, to make a difference in people's lives is what 
um, I enjoy the most and what gives me the most fulfillment and and the most motivation because, again, in these remaining 651 days, I want to make sure that I leave nothing on the table. Well, you have not, and I just want to say, as you know, I'm a woman living with epilepsy, and I'm all about the employment for people with disabilities, and I want equal pay. But I want equal pay for everyone across the board in all areas, um, and I know that that's what you're all about, which is justice. And, and actually, I was recently with the secretary when Senator Kennedy was inducted into the Hall of Honors, and I could tell that it was so special and so emotional for you. Um, and I think probably his commitment to people with disabilities, which he was, without question, our senator, um, how did that impact you that day? Well, Senator Kennedy, there's no senator in the history of the U.S. Senate that's done more in the civil rights world than Senator Kennedy. And, um, and I was so excited that you were able to attend the recent induction of Senator Kennedy into the Department of Labor Hall of Honor, where he joins um, titans like Justin Dart and um, Cesar Chavez and so many others. Uh, Senator Kennedy's commitment to people with disabilities uh, stems in no small measure from his own personal experience in his family. And uh, you, you look at every major piece of legislation dating back to the Civil Rights Act of 64, and Senator Kennedy had his fingerprints on it. And, uh, and so uh, it was such an honor to work for him in the 90s, and it was truly a humbling experience uh, to be able to uh, officiate in his induction into the Department of Labor Hall of Honor a few weeks back. And just as you mentioned, there were people there from the disability community, and I am one that was there, but so was Yoshiko Dart. And I know that that was really just so overwhelming to her because, as you mentioned, her husband, the late Justin Dart, uh, was also inducted, and she made a point of showing me that, and it, it just was, it really was, you know, to see Ted Kennedy Jr. and Patrick, and really this whole family has just embraced uh, supporting people with disabilities. And Absolutely. as I said, you did also for a long time, like at the Department of Justice, I'm not kidding you, I would be with people and they would say, oh, call Tom Perez, he'll help us. Call Tom Perez, and as the Assistant Attorney General, you really did, and I know you testified before Congress about the implementation of the Olmstead Act, and I'm going to use a quote from you, unnecessary institutionalization stigmatizes people with disabilities, reinforcing misunderstandings and negative stereotypes. Uh, what do you hope we see happen now, Secretary? Well, uh, Olmstead has been a decision that I think was um, a seminal decision for people with disabilities. When, when, that, was, uh, when that decision came down uh, in uh, June of 1999, I was working with Donna Shalala at the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, one of my colleagues there was a guy named Bob Williams, one of my uh, good friends, and Bob is a champion in the disability rights movement, and Bob and I had the privilege of um, advising Secretary Shalala on disability rights issues. 
And uh, we ran with the Olmstead decision because it really uh, presented an opportunity to um, move away from this paradigm where institutionalization was the rule and community living was the exception. And Olmstead stands for the proposition that the unnecessary institutionalization of people with disabilities is, is a form of discrimination. And so uh, we had a very, very active uh, docket of activities, both case investigations, uh, working with um, our Medicaid office to make sure that they help to promote uh, through um, their funding streams and through their Medicaid policy, um, community-based living. Uh, we worked with other agencies, uh, including the Department of Labor, because Olmstead is not simply about uh, where you live, it's about how you live. And so uh, you fast forward to the last couple of years, uh, Department of Justice and Department of Labor working together on a case in Rhode Island that dealt with sheltered workshops. Um, and, you know, sheltered workshops are another, um, uh, you know, unfortunate uh, situation where so many people who have so much talent are, are not being able to um, marshal that talent. And so I'm very excited about the work that I've had the privilege of doing uh, here at the department. Um, our Office of Disability Employment Policy, in the spirit of Olmstead, um, put forth an employment first initiative that assists states to uh, align their policies and funding mechanisms to ensure that people with uh, significant disabilities have the choice to work in uh, integrated and competitive uh, employment. And uh, that program's been a real success in uh, 15 states have taken action either through executive order or legislation. Uh, 35 states are participating with us in a virtual national employment first uh, practice program. Um, 300 roughly uh, frontline direct service professionals have been trained in customized employment strategies. And over 500 individuals with significant disabilities who were either um, participating in or were at risk of being placed in uh, these uh, uh, really, um, you know, underwhelming uh, programs were now transitioned into competitive integrated employment uh, at the minimum wage or higher. And so uh, that's really important. And uh, that's what it's all about is um, taking the promise of the ADA and putting it into action so that people uh, can work, can thrive, can live in the community, and uh, too many people, too many employers especially, have um, you know, focused on the first three letters of the word disability and not enough on the last seven. And that's what we're trying to do is get that focus on the last seven. Yes, and I certainly appreciate all you do. Right now, though, we have a caller on the line. Um, I think the caller is Phil. Are you on the line, Phil? Hi, Joyce. It's great to be with you. Oh, Secretary Perez, Phil... Gatone is the CEO of the National Epilepsy Foundation. Oh, fantastic. Thank you, Phil, for calling in. Go ahead. Well, thank you, and thank you, Secretary Perez, for for your leadership and your passion in helping people with disabilities find employment. I just have to say, on behalf of the Epilepsy Foundation, we are very, very grateful for your leadership. And knowing Joyce the way you do and, and the way Joyce Bender and Tony Coelho have delivered on the promise of the ADA and, and, and let our community 
as it relates to uh, growing employment for people living with epilepsy and more broadly people with disabilities, I have to say your leadership um, in, in our country has been unparalleled. And I just want to say thank you on behalf of, of the foundation and also on behalf of my family. Uh, we have a, a, an adult son who has epilepsy and, and there are 3 million Americans living with epilepsy. And on behalf of our son and, and all those who are seeking the freedom that comes with a paycheck. <laughs> we just want to right. say thank you for your leadership. It's greatly appreciated. And as a parent, you're very excited when one of your kids gets a paycheck. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Phil, thank you for your leadership. And, uh, you know, Tony and Joyce have been uh, forces of nature in the disability <laughs> rights community for decades. And, uh, you know, it's all, um, we're, we may be... Um, we may play slightly different instruments. You're out in the uh, nonprofit world. I'm in government, uh, but we're all part of the same orchestra, and that is the uh, the orchestra of opportunity, where we are uh, trying to make sure that we use all our leverage points possible to help people who uh, can work and want to work get that opportunity, or can well, and want to live in the community to get that opportunity. I completely agree, and and I, I think your your leadership in the Employment First initiative and and being being a uh, a colleague in that orchestra with you is is a great privilege, and you have a lot of friends and a lot of big fans in the epilepsy community. And uh, I know that that you know Tony Coelho and Joyce Bender very well, and and uh, we just respect, have great respect for their lifetime of leadership. And and I just want to say thank you, Secretary, for for your help and uh, for making a difference in so many lives. Well, thank you, Tony, and keep up, uh, Phil, thank you, and keep up the great work, and uh, please, if you see Tony, give him my regards, because uh, Tony's one of my heroes. <laughs> Will do, and, and thank you, Joyce, for allowing me to be on the show. Phil, Phil, thank you for what you're doing, uh, and you are the most humble but great leader, um, and, and you know what? Maybe next year we'll ask Secretary Perez to stop in at the walk, since Tony's there every year. <laughs> Terrific. It's an open invitation, Secretary. Thank Great. you both. Thank you so much. Take care now. There you go. That's an example of what I mean. You know, Secretary Perez, when I go to companies and they say to me, oh, Joyce, this is new to us, you know, employing people with disabilities, and I say, oh, no, it isn't. No, it is not. You have people working here right now who have disabilities that you just don't know. You don't know they have epilepsy, MS. Uh, diabetes, bipolar disorder, because so many of us do have hidden disabilities. Um, and so 503 is going to help all of us. It really has. And uh, we um, have been very encouraged by the um, increase in inquiries we've gotten from employers who are coming to our offices for help. Uh, the more they learn, the more they realize that we can get this done. And uh, you and I have, I think, a mutual friend. His name is Randy Lewis. Uh, Randy uh, used to work at Walgreens. He was a senior executive. He, he um, has had the privilege of raising a son who has uh, a disability, and his son taught him so much about what people with disabilities can do. And Randy changed the business model, almost single-handedly, of Walgreens to turn them uh, into a model employer, of people with disabilities, and I visited one of their uh, distribution centers up in Connecticut and saw that uh, something like 40% of their workforce was people with disabilities making um, 
$15 an hour and more with full benefits, working side-by-side with everybody else in the workforce. And uh, that was one of the most uh, productive uh, distribution facilities in the Walgreens network. And, and it's, it's examples like that, uh, leaders like Randy, uh, leaders like Walgreens, uh, that really set the tone. And uh, the work that you've been doing, working with employers, because they have a lot of questions, and I understand and appreciate their questions, we have answers, and you have answers, and when you give them those answers, we create win-win situations. Yes, that's right. Just this morning I spoke at a, a company, and as I tell them, you know, it's not about pity. We don't need pity. We need paychecks. It's not about uh, <laughs> charity. It's about doing a good job, equal treatment, you know, working equally to everyone else, um, and so therefore we can impact the bottom line. And speaking of a force of nature, wow, Randy Lewis is definitely a force of nature. Without a doubt. He, uh, <laughs> he inspires me every day, and he's inspired uh, uh, so many other companies to do the same thing, uh, very, like, whether it's Lowe's or other big box stores. Um, his his uh, multiplier effect has been uh, truly remarkable. Well, uh, you wait, Mr. Secretary, because we're going to invite you. I know you're stopping up in May in Pittsburgh, but we're going to invite you in October when we have all these federal contractors who have been employing people. And one by one, if these companies make an example, talk about what they do, it will make a difference. And with Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act, I must tell you, companies are calling me that, never called me. I mean, it's absolutely shocking. One of them I know you know is United Technologies Corporation, and several of these companies are just really doing the right thing to hire people with disabilities. And Tony told me before that he really, and I know, by the way, Secretary Perez, what you had to do with making this a reality, and we all thank you. Um, but I was wondering, what do you think? What do you think this will do in the employment of people with disabilities? Do you think there will be a big increase? What do you think? Oh, absolutely, and we're already seeing it. Uh, I mean, Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act uh, directs employers to take uh, steps to ensure that uh, they're doing right by uh, people with disabilities. It's not quotas. It's not uh, uh, anything of that sort. But uh, what it does do is set forth a roadmap for how employers can um, hire a workforce that, by the way, is the best and the brightest and uh, includes people with disabilities. And it really, uh, when I speak to people as we celebrate the 25th anniversary this year, uh, the question I often ask people is uh, what's the biggest piece of unfinished business in the ADA 25 years later? And the most frequent answer I get, uh, and I happen to agree with this, is that the biggest piece of unfinished business is uh, employment. There are way, way, way too many people with disabilities who want to work, who can work, uh, but uh, the barriers have not been broken down sufficiently. And so you look at the labor force participation rate of people with disabilities, and it's something like in the lower mid-20s. And I, I tell you, you know, people don't like paying taxes as a general matter, a lot of folk I meet, but uh, I consistently meet 
people with disabilities who say to me, Tom, you know what I want to do? And I say, what? I want to be a taxpayer. <laughs> and uh, I want to help them become a taxpayer. And uh, one of the ways we do that is working with employers enforcing Section 503. Another way we do that is to make sure that um, our public policy isn't perverse. And by that I mean um, there are people who uh, want to work, but then when they get the job they find out that they lose their the health coverage they currently get under Medicaid or uh, another federal program. Well, that's kind of perverse. And so um, we're working to uh, identify and break down those barriers that prevent people from getting work. And uh, that's, that, that is, uh, that, that's an interagency process, and, and we're working very vigilantly on that. But uh, I, I think we're doing far better now in Section 503 than we were a few years back. But I also know that we have a lot more work to do because I still I look at the numbers and the numbers don't lie and the numbers tell us that uh, uh, we need to do even more to help people with disabilities. Yes, and I always tell people someday we'll look back on this and say, do you remember when we had to ask people, please hire someone with a disability? And by the way, I will tell you I will not uh, ever beg because we have ability we can compete equally. We want to work, and as Secretary Perez said, we do want to pay taxes. You just have to open the doors and give the person a chance. And by the way, um, of course, not in the federal government, I mean, not as a federal contractor, but one of my customers is the National Security Agency, and they have been for nine years. And Governor Thornburg, when he speaks frequently, says, here's my question. If the NSA is hiring people with disabilities from Bender, what's your excuse? Because <laughs> I know you know how hard it is to work for an intelligence agency. So if you can do that, if you can be a mathematician at an intelligence agency, you can be an entry-level accountant. Couldn't agree more. Uh, and uh, we are working hard to make sure that the federal government sets the example, not only in the NSA, but here at the Department of Labor, and I'm very proud of our hiring record. And uh, we continue to uh, do a lot of affirmative outreach to make sure that we're sending a very strong message that we are a disability-friendly employer, and we do that not out of charity, but out of enlightened self-interest, because uh, America works best when we feel the full team, and there's too many incredibly qualified people with disabilities who are on the bench. They want to get in to the work context, and, uh, and we've got to break down those barriers. Yes, we do, and we will. And with you as our champion, I know that we will. And by the way, there are a lot of businesses that listen to this show. Um, do you have a, any direct message for them about employing people with disabilities? Well, I see a number of other businesses who are doing great work. And uh, I think that sort of peer mentoring, and, and uh, we have helped to facilitate that sort of peer mentoring, is something that uh, we can offer up. Uh, there are a lot of questions that we get uh, when we're talking with employers about hiring people with disabilities. I totally understand uh, those questions, uh, and, uh, and we have answers for all those questions. So, uh, for, for instance, a frequently asked question we get is, uh, well, what happens if it doesn't work out? What happens if the person doesn't perform? 
Well, the answer is you treat that person no differently than any other employee who's not performing. Uh, period. End of story. And uh, and and we um, we help work out things like uh, what does reasonable accommodation mean, uh, things of that nature. And and again by not only explaining what the law says, but by putting employers in touch with other employers so they can talk peer to peer. We found that to be a very uh, effective approach because that that employer frequently says, you know, I had all the same questions. I had all the same trepidation. And uh, this is one of the most, uh, uh, one of the smartest things we've done with hindsight. And here's why. And when they hear that, then suddenly um, all of the uh, trepidation turns into uh, excitement. And uh, and some of our most, uh, uh, what am I looking for? Some of the most uh, enthusiastic supporters are some of the most uh, recent uh, uh, employers that have uh, come to the table, hired, and seen the uh, return on investment. Yes. Well, speaking of people enthusiastic, we have another big, big force of nature on the line, as you did allude to earlier. Tony, are you there? I sure am, Joyce, and I want to apologize. I'm on a cell phone on SEPTA, but I just had to call in uh, to say something about Tom. Well, and by the way, this is Tony Quello. Uh, as I tell everyone, he's one of the few people I can go to in the disability community and say first name only, Tony, and they knew who I'm talking about. But if you don't know, he is the author of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And what can I say, one of the greatest people I have known or will know. So, Tony, uh, thank you for calling. Did you want to talk to, have something to say to Secretary Perez? I sure do. Um, I just think your listeners need to realize just the impact that Tom Perez has had on the disability movement over the years. Uh, when he became the civil, head of civil rights at the Justice Department, finally the ADA got enforced. And that means cities, counties, uh, companies, and so forth that had never really been pushed to comply with the law. Tom uh, took action filed suits when necessary, but convinced people that we had to move forward on that. Did a tremendous job, and I just I was just overwhelmed about how aggressive Tom was, and our, our community needs to know that. Secondly, uh, 503 is something that uh, uh, you know, Joyce, and Tom knows that I worked on for about 30 years, um, and we did all the necessary uh, data gathering to get it done. Um, but uh, uh, getting an executive order uh, was difficult to to do. And Tom had come in office as Secretary of Labor only about a couple of weeks, as I remember, and uh, at a meeting at the White House, uh, uh, he, along with Valerie Jarrett, uh, said, let's do it. And uh, as a result of that, uh, the executive order got implemented and in my view, as I've said to uh, you, both of you, uh, is that, in it, that 503 is as significant as uh, getting ADA adopted by the Congress because it provides the vehicle for freedom, the vehicle to be a part of society, to 
vehicle to uh, pay for your own way in this society, and that's getting a job. So that's very significant. I love Tom Perez. I love what he stands for. And, Tom, I just want you to know how much I feel about you. Well, thank you, Tony. And uh, we were talking about you before you got on the phone, and uh, I said to the listeners that you are one of my heroes. And when I first got on this job, uh, that would have been July of 2013, uh, one of the first issues that landed on my desk was the 503 rule. And uh, and uh, the first person I called to seek input and guidance from was was you, and the uh, and and what among other things you did was really impart to me what a game changer five hundred three could be. And uh, Joyce and I were talking before about how as we celebrate the twenty fifth anniversary here of the ADA in July. It's a time for uh, both reflection and renewal and redoubling our efforts uh, to focus on the unfinished business. And, and I was saying earlier in this program that um, the principal piece of unfinished business uh, in the ADA context is employment. And 503 is helping us get there. Uh, but rules are only as good as the political will of those who enforce them and the uh, stick-to-itiveness of uh, people on the outside like yourself and like Joyce and and uh, model employers out there like uh, Walgreens who who set the tone and demonstrate that uh, it can be done. Let's focus on how we can do it rather than fret on whether we might not be able to do it. And uh, and and it's examples like that that really give me uh, tremendous optimism about uh, the road ahead. Well, I agree, Tom. And the other thing that uh, for example, United Technologies has decided to participate, uh, and they're one of those that, as you know, were not supportive in the beginning, but now are aggressively supportive. Bob O'Hara uh, has been aggressively involved. Um, but the significant thing about United Technologies, not only are they willing to uh, hire people with disabilities in their U.S. operations, uh, Bob is committed to hiring people at all their operations worldwide, and they're one of the largest companies. And so what is the great thing about that is that all over the world, people with disabilities will be employed at their facilities. That will set a stage for other employers, the U.S. employers worldwide, but also uh, foreign employers that want to deal with the United States. So uh what uh, we're doing with 503, uh, we're going to look back on uh, 10 years from now and even less and realize just how significant uh, it was. So I applaud you for your aggressiveness trying to get it done, but more importantly now, your aggressiveness working with Pat Shu to make sure that people follow through and the law is enforced. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, you talk about... Uh kind of the global context of the fact that uh, United Technologies has a global footprint. And I've actually had a number of conversations recently with people in other countries because the United States really is has set an example for the world in uh, the ADA, for instance. And uh, I've, I've um, met with our counterparts in the U.K. and in Canada, and we've been working together on uh, how we can... Uh, take advantage of synergies in the disability employment context 
Prime Minister Cameron, uh, this is actually an issue that's very personal for him because he, he too, is the parent of a person uh, with disabilities, of a child with disabilities, and uh, he uh, cares deeply about this issue. And, you know, I, I mentioned the unfinished business of the ADA uh, in the employment context. Uh, another piece of unfinished business here is uh, the ratification of the treaty because we really are leading the world. And it was, uh, you know, for me it was a low moment to watch Senator Dole uh, advocating so passionately on the floor of the Senate and then uh, watching uh, the vote fall short. And, uh, and that, that really uh, was a disappointment to me because we have so much to offer the world on this issue, and I hope that we'll be able to do so. Well, I think that's, you know, I agree with you totally about the treaty, and uh, it's one of my more disappointing moments was during that vote, when we lost it by a few votes, when people who had committed uh, to us were swayed by uh, other senators not to do it. Um, but I, one of the things you raised, and I'll just mention this, is that uh, with the United Technologies, Bob O'Hara is the chair of the group that uh, has these U.S. employers with foreign operations. I forget the actual name of the committee, but he's the chair of that, and it would be great if uh, you had the uh, Prime Minister of Canada and the Prime Minister of England, because I'm sure United Technology is in both countries, and they were to start to do something with other companies in uh, Bob's group to try to get this done. I think just setting an example is really so important. So anyway, I'll get off. I just wanted, uh, Joyce, your listeners to know just how significant a role Tom has played and what a great friend he is to our community as well as being uh, a friend to me. So, Tom, love you and appreciate all you do. Thank you, Tony, for your leadership and friendship. Uh, You are a gem. Love you, Tony. Thanks for calling. Thank you, Joyce. Well, you know what, Secretary Perez, I'll have, you'll just have to introduce me to that Prime Minister and I'll, so I can be a force of nature in England. Well, uh, that's, that would be my pleasure. <laughs> well, you know, you were talking about companies that have made a big, big difference, and I think we have uh, a company on the line right now that, may I say, has hired more people with disabilities from the top down, I mean uh, from the CEO down, in all levels, not just, you know, one level, but all levels of professional employment, uh, and that would be Highmark, Blue Cross Blue Shield. Deb, are you on the line? Joyce, I'm here. Can you hear me? I hear you now, Deb. How are you? Terrific. I'm great. Okay, and Secretary, uh, this is Deb Rice Johnson, and she is the president of uh, Highmark Health Services Group, you know, is, as we all say in Pittsburgh, she's running everything. Uh, exactly. Actually, Deb, maybe you could take a moment. How, lar- how large is Highmark now? Oh, right. We're about 37,000 employees um, and can deliver some sort of products and services across the country. Um, so have a, have a big national presence. And I appreciate this time. Um, to spend with you, Secretary. Um, I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, but certainly have um, been uh, from the outside looking in, seeing all the great things that you have done. 
And so Joyce mentioned um, Highmark. Highmark has been a partner with uh, with Joyce and her organization for about 20 years now. So um, certainly we have learned as as we moved along. So you know, I re- I recall. Joyce coming and presenting this idea to us around hiring people with disabilities and really showcasing um, the work that they can do um, and, and the commitment uh, that, that these individuals would have to the organization and the mission the organization has. And I can tell you that has been absolutely true and more. Um, so, you know, we have a great relationship. And for years, you know, far, beyond, far before the Section 503, which um, I applaud, uh, we've been hiring individuals with disabilities. And, and, Secretary, I don't know if you're aware, but Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh specifically, um, where where we uh, are headquartered, um, we have a lot of returning veterans, which, as you know, are returning with some severe disabilities right. and have, you know, difficulty reestablishing themselves into the community and into the workplace. And so we're also working, Joyce alongside me um, and others, trying to find ways to make sure we're giving them the opportunity they deserve um, whenever they return and, and have, um, have certain needs. So we're just thrilled um, about the work that you're doing. And I also wanted to mention I'm a board director um, on the AAPD and just want you to know that, you know, I am behind what you're doing um, around equal pay and overtime pay. I think that that's something that has been neglected and these are, you know, many individuals who are caring for people with needs and um, just applaud you for that. Well, thank you, Deborah, for everything you said. You're, uh, first of all, I'm very familiar with your company, having spent a lot of time in <laughs> Pittsburgh and you are... Um, the model of uh, corporate responsibility and inclusiveness, and uh, and I'm very very grateful for that leadership. And it starts at the top, as well, thank uh, you. Joyce correctly points out. And and you uh, set the example for others. And so you're you're an example of one of those uh, kind of peer mentors that uh, has recognized that this is an act of enlightened self-interest, not an act of charity. And uh, your, your reference about uh, hiring veterans, uh, we have an office here at the Department of Labor that does nothing but uh, veterans' employment and training. And every employer I talk to who hires a veteran uh, tells me uh, they got game. They, they not only have the hard skills that we need, but they, they have those essential skills, those equally essential skills of teamwork, uh, working under pressure, showing up on time, uh, just being a good team player, and those things are as important as any skill you might have uh, in IT or or whatever you're hired for. And so, uh, listeners who are thinking about hiring veterans with disabilities, and we have a specific program that helps uh, employers uh, and veterans with disabilities uh, to gain employment, uh, because uh, again. Uh, it's you know, there are there are oftentimes some barriers that we need to address, and these um, and and the investments that we make have helped to um, create some win-win uh, solutions. So that's been really really helpful. And and then finally, I appreciate your words of support about our efforts to help um, home health workers. Uh, I uh, have spent a lot of time on the issue of making sure that we have a professional home health workforce. Uh, the reason that's critical is because 
if we can't build a professional home health workforce, well, then it's really hard for people with disabilities to live in the community. Uh, exactly. And, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a home health worker in Delaware who uh, left the job to go to work at a fast food restaurant because, in her judgment, uh, that had uh, better uh, pay opportunities. And uh, so that person was leaving to go to work at a minimum wage job because that was effectively a raise for her. And uh, incredible. You, you, you can't build a uh, you can't build a workforce long term. And by the way, the projections are very clear. Uh, the need for home health workers is rising. It's rising um, because our population's aging. It's rising because we're doing a better job of moving people out of institutions and into communities who want to live in communities. And so we've got to expand the workforce. And if you pay lousy wages and uh, give no benefits, it's not a surprise that you would have a lot of turnover. And that's what we see in this industry. And, and um, I pride myself on the fact that I've worked really, really hard and successfully to make sure that people with disabilities are not paid the sub-minimum wage. Uh, we did a, a very uh, a landmark case in Rhode Island about a year or so ago that uh, dealt with that issue. And, uh, and I think it's very important that people with disabilities get paid a fair wage, a minimum wage or more. And I also think it's equally important that people who care for people with disabilities or people who are uh, elderly and in need of help uh, also get paid a decent wage. And so what we did in our rule was we simply said that uh, the Fair Labor Standards Act applies to home health workers. So if you're working... Uh, 50 hours a week, you got to get overtime like every other worker does in America. And uh, and I've spoken to so many people with disabilities who were sick and tired of um, the turnover they had because uh, the pay was so bad. And uh, we've been working with a lot of states like California. And uh, California is kind of the mother load because they're the biggest state in the country and they have um, roughly 50% of the nation's consumer-directed health care. And so... Um, We've been able to work it out with California uh, on minimum wage and overtime requirements. And if you can work it out with California, if California can figure it out and they operate at scale, then frankly, I think every other state can figure it out. And um, uh, we have a court case pending right now. And at the conclusion of that case, I I have every confidence that we will be in a position to have to uh, enforce this rule. And, and we're going to do so uh, smartly. And we're going to do so in partnership with... Uh, and many key stakeholders because we have to get this right. And, uh, and that's why I have spent so much time on it. I think it's a really important imperative to grow this workforce, and I think it is really important that it be done right. And that's why I've been sending letters to governors, reminding them of uh, the fact that they've got to prepare to comply and uh, providing a lot of help. And we're going to keep doing that because uh, uh, this issue is uh, really a front and center issue for us. And I, I applaud you for it because it's, it's for the people with disabilities being able to seek the care that they need so they can stay in the communities and be independent, which I think is so important and just as important 
being able to provide the right wage, um, the appropriate wage for somebody who has a passion in their heart to care for people and them not being able to do so because economically it doesn't make sense um, is, is just a shame. So, right. you know, um, we're, behind, we're behind you completely. Thank you so much, and, uh, and I appreciate uh, the support that you have provided uh, on this issue, and I'm confident uh, and hopeful that we will be able to uh, move forward in the near future, and, and we're obviously going to do so um, uh, if the court uh, uh, rules, as I hope and expect they will. We're going to do so in a very thoughtful way. Terrific. It's so great talking to you today. Deb, Deb, don't go yet. Are you still there? (laughs) I'm still here. Okay, I just want to say, uh, Secretary, I know, I don't think I've ever told you this, but there would not be a vendor consulting services if there wasn't a high mark, because it is they I went to, and this is, this is our 20-year anniversary of vendor consulting services, but it is high mark I went to, and I said, would you do this? Would you bring on six employees of mine on contract and keep them for three years, and this would be six people with disabilities, to work in your IT department? Because if I don't have someone behind me with revenues coming in, how could I do it? And you know what? Here's how long it took them to decide. One day. And now over a 1,000 people have employment, and we work across the United States, and we work in Canada, and I just want you to know, Highmark is who stood behind, and still does to this day. Like, Deb is one of the executives at the highest level, every one of them, CEO, every one of them. Um, so I just want you to know that. Well, and thank you sharing. Just share my favorite story, um, and... You know, for anybody, um, any of the listeners who are contemplating um, their role in hiring people with disabilities, my, my very favorite story, and this happened a number of years ago, um, and I'll, I'll leave the person nameless, um, but this individual um, came to work every day, never missed a day of work, um, all of a sudden, and he relied on um, transportation to get him there, um, and, and he had a particular... <clears throat> issue was in a wheelchair, and unfortunately, that transportation wasn't going to be able to pick him up one day for work. He was so dedicated and loyal, he called an ambulance to bring him, bring him to the office so he could do his day's work, and he wasn't about to miss just because of an incident such as that. And that just goes to speak of not just uh, the experience and talent people bring, you know, whether it's in IT or whichever sector, it's also about the dedication and loyalty, which I, I don't think we can gloss over that. It's so important. And me as an employer, very important that you have somebody that is so devoted to the work that you're trying to accomplish. You really hit the nail on the head. Uh, every employer I talk to and ask, how's your experience been, uh, the, the there's usually a one-word answer, wonderful, excellent, fantastic, um, maybe a four-word answer, would do it again. Uh, and uh, that's because um, people with disabilities are hungry. Uh, they've been told no time and time again. And when someone finally says, yeah, um, that is uh, music to their ears, and they're not going to let that employer down. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you so much for all that you're doing. And, Joyce, thank you for the time to speak today. I appreciate that. My pleasure, Deb. Keep up. I look forward to seeing you at the next AAPD meeting in the future. Absolutely. Thank you. I want to just say something about this. Uh, You know, I hope to be joining AAPD again uh, in the future, but I I do want to say something. You know, uh, Secretary Perez, when he's talking about equal pay for home health workers, I want to point out to all of you listening that many of those people are people with disabilities. You know, people like me with epilepsy or psychiatric disabilities um, or MS or diabetes. Remember I said earlier about hidden disabilities? So many of those workers are us, are people with disabilities. Um, And, you know, I know this has been controversial in the disability community, this new rule to include minimum wage and overtime for home care aides for the first time ever. But I will go on record for saying that, Secretary Perez, I, in fact, support you 100%. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, I've spoken to so many uh, people in the disability community who share your view, uh, many of them because uh, they are consumers and they uh, have important relationships with uh, their home care worker, and they want them to be treated fairly uh, because when they're treated fairly, they stay longer. It's as simple well, as that. Well, you know, like my mother passed away two years ago with Alzheimer's, and so I experienced this directly, so it is personal to me. And if you want the best quality care, it's a no-brainer to know you have to pay the person properly. So, you know, many people, many of us with disabilities or the elderly, such as my mother, need or will need this service, and it only makes sense if you pay fairly, then you know you're going to get that service. And in addition, you know, it's hypocritical for me to want equal pay uh, for all people with disabilities because, as I said, that does include people with disabilities. So if you're listening right now, and I know we have a large listening audience of people with disabilities, you know what? you got to get behind this. And I know, Secretary Perez, that we can count on you to help us with those Medicaid resources and make sure you try to enforce justice across the board. Am I right? Absolutely, which is why we've been working so closely with our colleagues at the Department of Health and Human Services, as well as the Department of Justice, because these uh, as you, these issues, as I mentioned earlier in this program, are uh, cross-cutting issues. Uh, we we enforce the Fair Labor Standards Act. The Department of Health and Human Services uh, does Medicaid. The Department of Justice is is uh, really the lead agency, although not the only agency that is taking the lead in our court actions around uh, Olmstead enforcement. So we're all in this together, and that's why we uh, collaborate, coordinate uh, regularly so that we are always on the same page. 
Well, we have received callers that had important information to say, but of course, that means that makes the time go quickly, although this is totally what I expected. Um, I mean, Secretary Perez, I just love you so much, and so do all people with disabilities. And even for you to take time to be our guest all of this time, it isn't as if we don't know how busy you are. So before we close the show today, what message do you want to leave with our listeners? Oh, I, I am honored to be on this show. And as I reflect on the upcoming anniversary of the ADA, I'm proud of how far we've traveled in this journey for opportunity. But I'm also not confused about the fact that there's some uh, uncharted territory in this road and we need to chart it. We need to make sure that anybody who wants to work can find a job. We need to make sure that uh, we are vigilant about ensuring that our transportation systems are accessible because uh, if you can't get somewhere, then Olmstead is a little bit elusive. We need to make sure we have housing options because, again, you can't find accessible housing in a community, then Olmstead is elusive. We need to make sure we break down stovepipes between our government agencies and understand that uh, people with disabilities don't have a housing problem they don't, or, a, uh, or just a HHS problem or a labor problem. Uh, there are challenges that require holistic approaches, and that's exactly uh, what we are doing. Uh, this law is about empowering people and uh, that has been an unmitigated privilege for me to be infor- involved in this for um, the better part of two decades. There's so many champions before me, like Dick Thornburg, Ted Kennedy, Justin Dart, and so many other people. And I'd put Joyce Bender and Tony Quello in that category. And now we have new champions, whether it's United Technologies or... Um, other companies that have stepped up. Um, It's always exciting when the orchestra gets bigger and bigger, and that's what we're going to try to do is grow that orchestra of opportunity. And with you as our conductor, I know that that will happen. Before I hang up and before I let you go, Secretary, what can we do to help you? People with disabilities, what can we do? Well, we need your continued advocacy on issues of uh, critical importance. We're about to celebrate the 25th anniversary of the ADA. Uh, What issues are out there that we need to work on that we haven't been working on? Uh, We're going to continue to work vigilantly to enforce 503. We're going to continue to work vigilantly on the home health issue. Um, I hope the court case will be over by uh, sometime this summer, and I'm optimistic that it will uh, be resolved favorably, and so we're going to move forward collaboratively on that. And uh, and there are just so many other issues that uh, we are working on and some that we perhaps should be working on. And I always rely on uh, champions out there in the community like you to make sure you are uh, feeding us ideas and suggestions, and I'm confident that you will. Hell, yes, we will. And you know, uh, Secretary, every show for the past 12 years, and Highmark and Bear Corporation, two of our great sponsors of this show. But for the past 12 years, I end every show with a quote 
from someone that is impacting lives of people in such a positive way. And that quote today is the biggest piece of unfinished business in reference to the ADA is employment, said Secretary Tom Perez. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Have a great day. You too. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.